What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. It's such an amazing tool to tell people to see this movie and to understand that that is a lot of people's reality. Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a Canadian-made podcast highlighting important social issues and giving a voice to remarkable people. Here's your host, Carla Stevens-Tolstoy. Tangerine is a 2015 American comedy drama directed by Sean Baker, written by Baker and Chris Bergosh. The story follows a transgender sex worker who discovers her boyfriend and pimp has been cheating on her. The film was shot with three iPhone 5S smartphones. Yes, that is amazing in itself because they did the entire movie for a hundred thousand. And this low budget does not at all equate to quality of the film. I rented this movie when it came out and instantly fell in love with Sean and Chris and their writing style, director style, editing style. I mean, I just thought, wow, these guys are going to go places. They're just completely so original, so resourceful. And I was so happy when my son bought me a ticket to see their new film, The Florida Project, at the Toronto Film Festival. And I got to meet Chris because I'm such a huge fan. So they've worked on a few films together. The plot for The Tangerine is a transgender sex worker, Cinderella, who has finished a 28-day prison sentence, meets her friend Alexandra, another trans sex worker at a donut shop in Hollywood on Christmas Eve. Alexandra accidentally reveals that Cindy's boyfriend and pimp Chester has been cheating on her. Be cheating on you like that. Wait, 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 what? You, you didn't know? Cindy storms out to search the neighborhood for Chester and the woman. Her name starts with a D. Danny. Desiree. Destiny? You're making me lose my game. She's some white fish. Chester and she know me with real fish. Yeah, bitch, like a real fish, girl, like vagina and everything. The night continues on with amazing performances by all the actors, and it it literally kept me spellbound the entire movie. Chester. Since him. Who's your man? Who's hot piece for you? Cindy, what do you see in him? Sean Talk and Chris do not steer away from controversial. They do not steer away from social advocacy, social justice films. You're going to hear when I talk to Chris how excited I was to have them be part of this podcast and how much I admire their work. I think the whole idea of all of you guys being friends is really interesting because I did read that you all went to NYU together and you guys all work on each other's projects. Were you guys all roommates at NYU or? Not roommates, but just in some of the same classes. And um, we weren't even all in the same year, but we just always worked on each other's films. And I think that's the best thing. Whenever like I talk to film students, you know, some of them are just like me at that age. Like, I thought, like, what am I even doing here? This is such a waste of money. I should just be taking this money and making a movie. And and, and that's kind of not entirely wrong to think that. But what I didn't know at the time that I see it now is that 
like you didn't know you were forging such creative like relationships and alliances. And I think now I look at it like that's what the money went to for like literally buying creative partners that you could work with for the rest of your life. Yeah. So school is really about building relationships. What other schools do you think are really good for film and television that are similar to building relationships? It's so funny nowadays, like, okay, back then, this was the 90s. I always wanted to go to USC because when I was like growing up, I liked Lucas and Spielberg and you always heard about USC. Is that, is that University of Southern California? Right, right. And, the, and that was like the mecca of like film school. And I didn't get into the film school. I got into like what they would have had as a general studies program and then you can kind of internally transfer. So I was like, no, screw that. If they don't want me, I don't want them. So I went to NYU because I grew up in New York and New Jersey and at the time I was living in New Jersey, so it would have been easier. And I like New York City. It'd be like cool to live there. So I thought, okay, go to NYU. And now what I'm trying to say is there's more than those big major places. Like there's so many more schools that have film programs that are not like those mega giant expensive ones. You could go to any film school and you could still have those great collaborations. Because the classes, honestly, like I guess I learned some technical stuff, but I was making movies with my friends in New Jersey since I was nine and my DNA to make movies was never changed. Like I always still did what what I was going to do. Okay. So what was your upbringing? I was born in Manhattan, but we moved to uh, Northern New Jersey when I was five. And there's a, everybody kind of knows this place called Paramus, New Jersey. I guess that's like a giant, like there's a million malls there. And whenever you say Paramus, a lot of people are familiar with it. And I grew up in a town right next to Paramus called Glenrock. And, um, I was just one of those kids who never wanted to do anything except get my friends to make movies with me on the weekends. And, and then through my teenage years, I would bribe them. I would be like, okay, like if you can just give me your whole like Saturday to act in this thing with me, like I'll pay for whatever movie next week comes out. And I would like bribe. That would be how I paid the actors. It's like I bought them movie tickets. How did you support that? Like, did your did you use your allowance? Oh, I used my allowance. Yeah, yeah, because we had a pool, so I would make you know allowance. Right, I cleaned the pool. And did you know help my dad with various chores to get the allowance, and then I would use the money to make the movies. So the Florida Project is a 2017 American drama film directed by Sean, written by Sean and Chris. It stars William Defoe, but it also has a lot of stars in there that they just found through Instagram, through casting calls, right in the area that they were going to be filming. It's the, you know, it is so real and so authentic that when I saw this movie at TIFF, I laughed, I smiled, and I cried a lot too. And the ending just felt so real to me because the ending is very much based on reality and what really happens out there within the childcare system and within struggling moms and in poverty and people that live once again on the fringe which is something that chris and sean do an amazing job at i can't stress enough how eye-opening these films are for people that have no experience with perhaps how some people actually live in in america and this would also apply to canada it's about a six-year-old Mooney, and she lives with her young mom Haley in the magic castle it's a motel in kissimmee florida it's a real motel 
and she spends most of her day unsupervised with motel resident friends and and engaging in a lot of fun and games and mischief. The man who lives in here gets arrested a lot. It's about her experiencing living so close to Disney World but not having any of the benefits of Disney World as we would see them, but making their own fun. And it talks about what the mom has to do to survive and to keep themselves living in this motel because a lot of people actually live in motels because that's all that they can afford because they only make enough money week to week. And it's about the mom, Haley, who does an amazing job. She's never acted before. Um, they found her off Instagram. It's an amazing story. New job? Yeah. If you're working, who's looking after money? But just how she has to prostitute herself in order to afford to pay for Mooney and her to live there. I don't think everybody knows what's up, Haley. Everybody. And William Defoe plays an amazing um, character. as kind of the, the landlord of the motel and his kindness. But there's a backstory to kind of his life as well. But it's really about the reality of what a lot of people have to experience, unfortunately, when they're living so below the poverty line even, and they're just trying to survive and just trying to get through the day. Uh, let's go, come up. I'm really passionate about human trafficking, um, and I'm really passionate about the foster care system and, and the changes required. And when you had that scene, that was really powerful to me. Like the stuff that you put in the content into that movie, it all made sense to me. Like I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm right in a real situation. Like everything you 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 did was so real to me. It comes from the research, you know? Like we, we did two years of research trips and just talked to people from that walk of life and you find out like we let we met moms that were it's actually a lot worse than we depicted in the movie. Cause, and I'm sure you know. Yeah. There were stories that we, like, cause we met a mom who was doing some of what Haley does to make ends meet. But then she was telling us stories about other people who were, oh, I can't, it's like so sad when you even talk about it. Like, they, they were prostituting their daughters to make the month the ends meet. Underage, too. Yes, of course. She, it, what people don't realize is that actually, in many ways, She's a good mom. I mean, she she made bad choices, but she grew up in a situation where that's all she knew. And that's why I love... And she's in survival She's in survival mode. She's in survival mode, and she's doing what she thinks she needs to do to survive. And people don't even realize that it's 10 times worse than this. It really is. And, and the thing is, is like, I, I do try to question people that say she's a terrible mom. She's really not. She's loved. She's the only thing that in her life that she actually cares about is Mooney. That's why we made it clear. It's very subtle, but we make it clear in the DCF scene in the beginning that she had left a strip job because they wanted her to do extras in the back room and she didn't want to do it. But that, so that's trying to set up that she has no other choice. She doesn't want to turn tricks. She's simply doing it for her daughter. Because she doesn't know, there's no other, in her mind, she doesn't see any other alternatives in that point. No, and, and I think which was also really interesting, which I loved, is how you have them be like their best friends. I mean, she, her whole reason for being is her daughter and the way they have pizza. She's just a kid herself. She's a kid who has a kid and is in a really difficult situation and is trying to figure out how to just survive, as you said. So 
for people to say she's a bad mom, she didn't have very good parenting, obviously, herself. And she's doing the best that she can with the tools she's provided. Yeah, well said. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's not making all the right choices. And she's probably way over dramatic and stuff like that. But it's all coming from a place that is just trying to make ends meet for for, for Mooney, the, the way she knows how. And, um, and hopefully if people see it a second time, maybe they can pick up a little bit here and there and, and see it differently. It's such an amazing tool to tell people to see this movie and to understand that that is a lot of people's reality and worse. I have to give so much credit to a woman named Mary Downey, who runs the Community Hope Center in Kissimmee, and it's called hope192.org. And, you know, obviously, Sean and I and producer Shiching, we we rolled in there one day a few years back, and we're telling them about this movie we want to do. And obviously, they had their guard up because they, you know, most people might might assume like, oh, are these people going to be like exploiting? You know, we don't want that. And and then once they saw the movies we had done, and they saw the way we approached like things like Tangerine and from a respectful place, and we told them our process about the research we wanted to do, then then it was great because then we had her as this sort of great collaborator and, and ally that could put us in touch with families that were willing to talk and. And and it was all from the research about like just immersing ourselves and hearing as many. It's not based on any one story. It's just that when you're when you're talking to people, you'll you'll pick up little things. Like we we're talking. I'll never forget the day where we heard the story about vacating the premises for that one day out of every month, so you don't establish residency there. And we were we were wait 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 back up back up. What are you talking about? And then we had quite. We're like, well, why can't you just say you did it and not really? That's terrible. You have to like move all your stuff out for one night. They're like, no, they have cameras. If you don't do it, it's the hotel. They have to play by the rules. And so, like, that's the kind of stuff you hear, and you know, you have to work it into the narrative. And how did you go about auditioning these actors? Because I know that you guys like to use a lot of real people, right? So a lot of them are acting for the first time. It is a mix. It's a fifty-fifty mix. And um, for this one. The kids were the most important. And, you know, Brooklyn Prince, who plays Mooney, was a professional actor. She had done some small films, uh, Florida-based, and uh, she was in the system. And we, we worked with the uh, CrowdShot, which is a casting, local casting company down there. And we actually set up the auditions in the motels. So we just had lots of uh, kids coming to the motels. And they were all great. And lots of them wound up in the movie. It was just really hard to get that combination where we have this script. And they needed to be able to memorize the lines. Then they also needed to be able to make the, make it their own so it would feel more natural. And if we had something, they weren't required to say it word for word, but they had to still say what was written. And they couldn't just say anything. And so that's hard to find that balance where, because if like any, let's say any kid could memorize lines and say it, but then they, it might not sound natural. So it was very hard to find the balance. And when when Brooklyn came in, we were blown away. We were just cracking up with some of the stuff that she was doing. And, and then Jancy, who's played by Valeria Cotto, she had never acted, but wanted to act. And Sean approached her and her mother in Target, right there in Kissimmee, to help, like just informing them, like, hey, we're looking for kids of all ages, and, and please come to our, our audition. And then Scooty, uh, played by Christopher Rivera, was actually part of that world. You living in one of the motels at the time, and and he just had a really good uh, natural, yeah, natural quality. That he's that, he's the son, right? He's the the boy. Yeah, and he was so great because you know 
we would have these exercises where they would come in and first you would see if they could do like something scripted and memorize, but then you'd go like, okay, pretend that there's a pool and there's like some bigger kids in the pool and we want you to go kick them out and tell them that this is your pool. So, and that's all we would give them just to see like what they could create. And like a lot of the kids couldn't really come up with anything. So we really needed to have kids that had imaginations and be able to like, you know, create this whole situation on the fly. And, and they did it. What I also liked about Tangerine is that the characters had mental instability. I mean, you could almost say that, that she suffered some bipolar of extreme highs and lows, which I find many times the women uh, and the men that work the streets sometimes do have extreme personalities where they get very angry and they yell and they fight and they push and they hit and they act very irrational. And they're in love with these pimps that don't give a shit about them. So when I watched it, I didn't even know it was made on a budget or it was made with an iPhone. And I was right away researching you and Sean and the the, the cast because I was like, oh, this is so realistic because I have witnessed those same experiences where you see that anger erupt. In Toronto? Yes, where they're like screaming and, and there's a lot of energy and passion and upset and anger and so some of the situations to me were like wow how like I, I had to research it all because I was like is this a documentary oh yeah yeah and that's the thing everybody we get that with every film like with the tangerine and with Florida project people are really do you want to hear something funny and again I, I it's far, it's a little frustrating as a writer you know when you take years to try to make this story be be real, realistic, and then people actually don't even think it's written. Um, but it's actually a kind of a compliment, I guess, because we went to the ma I went to the Magic Castle last week just to say hello to the people who work there, and because uh, I was down in Florida visiting, and uh, they told me that people called the motel to ask how Mooney was doing. Like they thought that it was a real thing, and they had to explain like that was just a movie. There's no Mooney. <laughs> But there are real life versions of her, but there's no specific Mooney girl here. And it's just funny to me that people actually um, would call and think it was real. Even one of our people working on the movie was convinced that I grew up from that life. And I guess, again, it's just a compliment that we did our research. We, we approach it from this like journalistic standpoint where we just... We will just not even know what the story is going to be, and we just want to immerse ourselves in the world that we're writing in, and actually write. You know, Sean and I stayed at the motels, and we wrote in the motels. So you're like literally in this this world that you're setting a story in, and that I think that all winds up making a difference. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes 
organizations and groups that were passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. You know what the one thing I do want to talk about is is budget because I know you guys have a very tight budget. Each movie opens up a few new doors to to jump up a little bit. It's weird, you know. In the old days, when I was going to see independent films in the '90s, it seemed like there were a lot more like guys like Kevin Smith. You know, they would make these bigger jumps, and now it's harder. The jumps are smaller. Meaning, like um, after Starlet, so Starlet was around like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is nothing for a movie. And then we thought that Florida Project was going to be the next movie. But the thing is, it was no, we couldn't get anybody on board for the, for the budget of Florida Project. And that's why, and it's good now looking back, it's like a blessing in disguise. But back then we were really bummed out because that was where our heart was. And that's the story we wanted to do next and nobody would let us. And, and uh, it was for a variety of reasons too. Lots of people that we told the idea to said it was too similar to Beast of the Southern Wild and stuff like that, which it wasn't. But they just heard that it was a little girl and and they just immediately figured it would be. And that's actually what led to Tangerine because so it was a step backward because Tangerine, you know, we shot on the iPhone because of budget. Like we just didn't have any more favors to call in, and it was this movie that. Mark Duplass and Jay, they they had loved Sean's previous work and they had an offer out to him where they were like, look, you know, if you find a story that you could tell on this micro budget, which would be, you know, in the neighborhood of like $100,000, you know, please come pitch it to us because we can do that level. And so for us, like Tangerine was a step backward budget-wise. $100,000 to do that film is unbelievable. And it wound up to be a little, a little bit more than that, like maybe 125, I want to say. So that's why we, instead of complaining about it, we kind of embraced it. And that's what Sean was like, look, let's shoot on iPhones. Let's just make these work for us with, you know, we can, we can be more discreet. We could get down and dirty with these things and let's just make that movie be, be that. And so that, yeah. And then that opens more doors to finally get to do Florida Project. And what was the budget for Florida Project? So for Florida, that's like in the Sean Baker realm. That's like Avatar. <laughs> it's like it was uh, just over two million. Okay, so two million, and you guys have done sales of six million. So it's these movies are not money making projects. They're just passion that we need to tell these stories. I hate that they're just like passion because these deserve to make money. Yeah, I mean they're you know they're not movies. They're not 
I mean, look, I love big budget movies and Star Wars and all that, but like, they're, these are not that, and these are not movies for, for everyone, and, and we don't expect them to be. And it's nice that they get the reviews because then the word of mouth spreads and, and then more people get it on their radar that, that they didn't even know the movie existed. So that's really cool. Well, and you have no, you have no negative reviews. The Florida Project doesn't have any negative reviews. I know we're like, fingers crossed. I mean, we're at 96%. On Rotten Tomatoes, and that's really special and warms our heart. I want to flip flop. I would love to still make these kind of movies with Sean, and I also want to want to write, you know, bigger, more mainstream stuff as well. And it'd be nice to to go back and forth. So let's talk a little bit about your personal career, because probably in a lot of people's eyes, even my son's eyes, okay, wow, you've made it to the big screen. You know, wow, you're 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 a success already, Sean. Such a success. But how do you see yourself? Yeah, you know, well, God, I don't even know how to answer that. I just want to be able to, you know, I went to film school to be a director and a writer, but now I just, I'm fine. I, I just see myself as a guy who wants to tell as many stories as possible with and collaborate with as many, you know, uh, dynamic personalities as possible. And so with writing, you can, you can get more stories out to the world. And, and I just want to be able to do that. And I don't consider myself really there yet because these, again, these movies are so tiny that they're like huge in the festival circuit, but they're not huge. If you were to go, you know, to a small town USA, nobody would know about this movie because it's not playing there and it's just not on their radar, you know? Okay. Let's get to how do you deal with your low times? I mean, do you suffer from any depression or anxiety or how do you, how do you deal with failure? And what would you consider some of your biggest failure? I have huge anxiety over money right now. Like finances are, you know, we, the way we've all, the whole team has just been like living, you know how people say they live paycheck to paycheck. We live movie to movie. And so like we let, we, we kind of nurse the, you know, no one's getting rich and we're getting the minimums, uh, the guild minimums. So like for, for example, you know, without saying specific numbers, anybody can look that up. That's boring. But like, then we'll just make that, we'll ride that till the next one gets going. And, and, and right now is the time where it's like, okay, it's getting tight and now we need to get the next one going. So, so we can still keep paying the bills. It's a crazy, I wouldn't recommend this way to people. People need to get real jobs. Like, <laughs> It's not a good way to live. So do you like, do you just, does your brain not shut down? Are you constantly trying to innovate and think of your next project and how, how you're going to make money and how you're going to do yeah. it? Actually, like I said, there's we have this idea vault, and some of it's with Sean, some of it's not, and and it's just TV shows, features, and not all of them are small movies like Florida. Some of them are big, giant, mega budget studio extravaganzas, and so it's just about now taking meetings and trying to figure out what's right and who we want to work with, and trying to be a little bit more selective because I feel like there's a lot of villains in Hollywood, and you're kind of selling your soul to the devil. And I've learned that you can't just take money from everybody; you have to really try to work with like-minded people who get you and what your deal is or else it's going to be like a nightmare. And, and so, you know, it's that's, that's what we're also dealing with. It's just trying to not only just not only get financing to make another movie, but try to work with magical people in the process. One of the best exercises to do is you put it out to the universe, what you want. So if you put out to the universe, what, what do you want? What, what would be the big thing that you're going to ask the universe for to bring to you? What do you want it to bring to you? To be able to continue 
to tell stories and get them out of my head and onto the screen of all the shapes and sizes. A lot, a lot of people, considering the stuff that we've done, don't know that we're capable of doing other things. And I, I, my fear is to get typed, just like actors might get typecast. You could get typecast as a writer or a director or anything. And I, I don't want to be typecast as the guy who can only make the small little films. I want to be able to get the chance to do a bigger budget film so people could also know I'm capable of that. This has been the Stand Up Speak Up podcast with guest Chris Bergosh, hosted by Carla Stevens-Tolstoy. Be sure to check out Chris's movies, Tangerine, The Florida Project, and others. We'll put more info and links in the show notes for this episode. And don't go anywhere. For your bonus content today, Chris talks to Carla about taking one for the team during his cameo in Tangerine. I see trees of green Red roses too I watched them bloom For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white Right blessed day in the dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow Are so pretty in the sky They're also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands. Shake my hand, baby. How do you do? They're just saying, honey, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. Look at this sweet little thing here As we ever know And I think to myself Look at that smile Oh What a wonderful world You're not left out there You're cute too You really are Oh I think to myself What a wonderful Can you play pretty for the people up here, right here? Thanks for listening to our song choice today. That was Rupert Blaze covering What a Wonderful World. Now for your bonus content, Chris tells Carla a bit about his not-so-pleasant cameo in Tangerine. We're not really actors, but, like, you know, we'll, we'll make little cameos in each other's things. The only reason why I made the cameo in Tangerine, though, is because it would have been cruel, and we could have never asked an actor to do that, get, like, on, so I, I was just did the volunteer to take one for the team on that one because that's real vomit. Uh, well, was it okay? Because I was looking, I was looking at it because I had watched it, and then after I'd met you, I'd gone back and watched it, and I was like, oh my god, there's like Chris, like 
the whole puke thing. I was like, wow. And that's Josh Sussman from Glee, who we worked with on a show called Warren the Ape from TV. And he's a good friend of all of ours. So it's like, okay, it's Josh's puke and he's going to be amazing. And then I'll just like go to sleep. And I told him, like, just treat me as a human prop and do whatever you need to do to make the scene work. And I'll just go to sleep. And puke. Yeah, he he uh <laughs> he had pancakes and oh like ten mimosas. He basically he basically poisoned his body for the film. And he, he's awesome. He was like, Oh, pain is temporary, art is forever, so so uh or film is forever. So I was like, Okay, cool. Because the the thing is with all Sean Baker's movies, one of his things is there's always puke in all the films. Oh my god, that is hilarious. I'm trying to think where was the puke scene in the the Prince one? In in Prince, uh, it's um, the the uh, what's her name? His the, the little boy's mom. Uh, oh, okay, that's right. Him. That's right. After she, yeah. after she discovers that she sees him, right, or something, and she uh-huh, runs around uh-huh, the corner uh-huh, and uh-huh. pukes, right? Okay, that's right. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, in in Starlet, the character of Melissa pukes, and uh, Jane comes into the bathroom and helps her. Um, but that that was not okay. So that was real. But that was, back in those days, Sean used to tell the actors, you could fake it if you want to. And it's always the actors that are like, no, I want to go for realism. You know, that's what Sean likes to do. So back then, there was like this, it's not, it was like a, a medicating like um, thing for people who have like, I guess, um, I think it's called Epiquette or something. It's, it's supposed to induce vomiting. I hate vomiting. I, I hate vomiting. I hate thinking about vomiting. I hate the process of vomiting. Oh, okay. We'll change the subject. We'll change the no, subject. No, I don't anyway, mean that. I just, with, with, I just mean like I could never like I, I would like hold I hold it in even if I have the flu. I'm like I will not puke. I will not puke. I will not puke. Oh, that's no. Your body wants to get rid of it. I but know. The I know. Short is in Florida Project. It was fake. Florida Project. Bria did not do it for real. Thanks again for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. You can find show notes and more at StandUpSpeakUpBlog.com. We'll see you next time. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.